This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to Double Tap for the weekend. It is Saturday, it's the 25th of February 2023, and we're wrapping up today at the Zero Project Conference in Vienna. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, from the Zero Project Conference held at the United Nations in Vienna, Austria, here's your hosts. Stephen Scott and Sean Priest, And just me with you today. Yeah, because do you know what? We got so much to cram into this episode. I thought, let's just give Sean the day off. Let him relax in his little bed. Uh, for me, though, I got a chance to meet some amazing people over the course of the last few days, and I thought I'd share some more of those conversations with you today as uh, we wrap up here at uh, the conference. Uh, we're going to be hearing a bit later from Shani Danda, an incredible woman who talks eloquently, so eloquently, about her own struggles with her disability and also the intersectionality with race and gender as well. It's a really interesting conversation we get into today. Shani joining us a bit later, but first up, I thought we'd take a wander around some of the exhibit halls. And that's what I did yesterday. I got the chance to wander around and meet some amazing people doing some amazing work from all around the world, from Brazil, from Israel and more. So here I am walking around the exhibit hall to uh, meet some really interesting people. Hey, my name is José Robinger. José, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for being on Double Tap. So why are you at the Zero Project conference? Well, this is a long story, but let me make it a little bit short. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I am the CCO and the co-founder of a company called key to enable So in Brazil, we developed a keyboard in the first moment that enables children, students, people with severe and motor disabilities to use a computer, to use a smartphone, to use tablets. So I can describe this to you for you to understand and imagine how uh, it's, uh, I can picture this uh, just by saying how we, we, we do that. Um, and are we talking about a physical keyboard? Yes, it's a physical keyboard that you connect it to any computer and to anything that has a USB actually. Ah, okay, cool. So uh, explaining a little bit how it works, it's a square keyboard and here we will find nine main keys they are round and around these keys we have letters numbers and we have actually all the commands that a regular keyboard have but children and people with severe disability for example those who were born with cerebral palsy or they, uh, they they lost their movements and they cannot use their hands so they do not have fine motor coordination they will uh, need to touch uh, this keyboard and do a combination for each letter. So for example, these nine uh, uh, buttons that I told you, they have colors and they have symbols. So for example, to write the first name of uh, your name, the first letter of your name, that it's S, I will find where this letter is in these nine buttons. And here I can find that it's in the pink button. So if I touch this button one time, it will light and it will wait for this person to type another command, like a combination. So the combination of your name, according to the pattern that I have here, is the pink plus the orange button. So pink plus orange, I will have R. Oh, sorry. It's S. Yeah. <laughs> I did a mistake, but you, you did the <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, I get the idea. So the S, let's do S again. It's uh, the pink 
And the pattern that it's here, it shows me that it's the brown. So pink plus brown, you can be uh, very happy because pink plus brown is the first letter of your name. Okay. And why it makes it easier for them? Because if they try to touch the regular keyboard, they will make a mess. When I was wondering trying. this. I'm thinking, why is that different to a regular keyboard? That's it. So imagine a person, uh, a, a child that was born with cerebral palsy, and they do not have this fine motor coordination with the fingers. So uh, most of them are not able. May, may, maybe uh, they are non-verbal also, and they cannot touch the regular keyboards. So that keyboard that comes with the laptop, for example, they will never use. Okay? okay, so we have eye gazes, we have many other options that they can do it. But some of them cannot use this other technology. So we found out that if we did something like this, that would make them curious because I think you are curious to understand because there is, there is this square thing with many colors and, and, and round keys. How can I type my name using that? Yeah. It happens the same mainly with children. And now just, just just going by what you're saying, it, it reminds me a little bit of the old fashioned as some would call it these days, the old fashioned keyboards on mobile phones. Remember the T nine keyboard? Exactly. Yeah. You 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 hit the spot. But Again, uh, remember that that keyboard, we had to use our fingers to... It was very small. Yeah, it was very small, exactly. So now we have this square. Uh, it is around 45 centimeters for, uh, for 40 centimeters, okay? And this, these keys are separated. So imagine something now in your mind, like three keys in the upper um, side, then three keys in the middle, then three keys in the bottom. So a little, a little bit like the one to nine on the T9 keyboard, right? Exactly. So because of this, I can use all the commands in the computer. I can hit enter. Imagine a person that cannot even uh, use the fingers hitting control out delete in Microsoft Windows, for example. Yeah, it would just be a nightmare. Exactly. With this, I can do it in three commands. So control delete will be the control and the out and delete. So I give them autonomy and privacy because maybe they want to use this without the caregiver, without mother. So this is the first solution that we came up with. Actually, I need to tell you something that is really, really very amazing. I didn't create that. Actually, I made it, but who created the idea was a man who was born with cerebral palsy in Brazil his brain was stimulated when he was young and he always wanted more. So he graduated in computer science using something uh, attached to his head that we call a head pointer. Mm -hmm. So imagine a man studying computer science and touching each key with his head. Every time that he needed to press the add symbol, he needs someone to help him to press the shift button. Yes, because you only press one key at a time. Exactly. Now he can do it. Because That's it's, incredible. Uh, just touch this and touch that. Touch so this. What's, what's the deal with this? Is this out? Is this something people can buy? Is this prototype? Where, is, where, is it? where are we at with it? Thanks that it was a prototype in 2015. So since 2015, we have been uh, put, uh, in, introducing this to schools. In the beginning, of course, we were uh, um, 
having this in, in the website, we were searching for people who could use it. But then we decided that these schools, it's where they are, mainly public schools, at least in Brazil because the teachers are already there, the special educators, the professionals. So we empower the professionals to use this with the kids. And the beautiful part of the story is that today we have more than 10,000 children and students and seniors with disabilities that are using this inside the schools. And this is in Brazil? This is in Brazil. We also have um, people using it in the UAE, where I live. Mm -hmm. I will tell you why I live there. And Returning to the first question, that was why I am at Zero Project. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I try to explain everything to tell you why I am at Zero Project. So much to tell, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I must tell you why I'm here. So in the UAE and in the US, in Portugal, Armenia, Rwanda, and many other places. But why we are here in Zero Project? Because our company was selected in 2019 to come to the UAE because the country was trying to to include children with disabilities inside these schools. This is something that in Brazil we are already doing for the past 20 or 30 years. So we, we do know how to do that. So I stayed in the country, in the UAE, because they gave us a grant. And things are, are, are going very well there. And Zero Project was introduced to us last year. And we really wanted to join or to be part of that. And what happened was we submitted our application. And believe me, it was a huge application. They don't want just uh, um, answers. They want that you show what you have been doing, best practices, that it's really working. It's really changing lives. And we did it. So we, we were selected. We had like many interviews. And now we are in the book that they have just launched. That is the book of the 71... Uh, not, not only startups, but companies that are doing good for uh, inclusion and accessibility. Congratulations on it. Congratulations on the award. Well done for all this. And uh, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Uh, so my name is Marielle Ellingsen. I'm from Norway and I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Void. Can I just say I love Norway? <laughs> I do. I was on a Norwegian cruise and I spent so much time there and I had so much fun and I loved it. And I, the one thing I found about Norway is nobody's there which I think was my favorite thing. It was so quiet. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, it's it like, I think we were like 5 million people in the whole country now. That's mm. a gorgeous place. Uh, so what brings you to Zero Project Conference? Um, it was a bit accidental, actually, that we came across this. Um, my uh, commercial mentor uh, has been like active with the Zero Project for many years. So he was the one that was like, you need to go, you need to go. So that's why we came here. Okay. And what are um, you exhibiting? Yeah. Um, so we're creating an app for people that uses hearing aids. Okay. Uh, so in conversations where there are more people talking, perhaps a little bit of background noises and other sounds, uh, everyone can use their smartphone as an external microphone for the hearing aid user. Mm. That's incredible, yeah. Because, I mean, look, this is something which I think affects a lot of people, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, are you developing this with deaf people particularly in mind? Are people hard of hearing or are you thinking more broadly than that? Uh, we are developing this with um, hearing aid users in mind. Um, specifically? Specifically. But, okay. of course, the technology in itself can be, like, broadened with the user group and stuff like that in the future. But now we're cooperating with um, 
uh, Norway's Association for the Hearing Impaired uh, to have like regularly input from them of how we should form this app and how it should work and how it should look and where it should be working and stuff like that. So we're always like including them uh, in our developing process so that we actually create something that is to be used and wants to be used for them. And for me as well, because I want to be here in my family. Are you deaf yourself? No, uh, but we have uh, people in my family that are hard of hearing. So I'm doing this from my point of view as well, so that they can hear me when I'm speaking to them. Mm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, how, do you, how do you think this technology compares? Because, of course, today we see so many solutions out there, mm. often rather tentatively offered as solutions for people who are deaf or, or hard of hearing. Through, for example, say, AirPods and an iPhone, mm. you can have live listen. It gives you similar experience. Yeah. Um, but that's not the same, is it? That's not the same as the kind of products that, I mean, essentially real hearing aids. They're mm. quite different, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, of course. It's like... Um, I don't think there are many things that can be compared to actually good working hearing aids. Uh, And we're not removing the hearing aids at all. We're just like giving more audio input to them. Um, AirPods can be used with live listening in iPhone, and that's a brilliant thing. But it's also like uh, the negative pact, negative thing with many of these existing technologies that are like in-apps are that they're only bound to the one type of phone or the one type of hearing aids. And that also goes for external microphones for, let's say, phone-neck hearing aids. It's only bound to phone-neck, those external microphones, so that if you have more people with different hearing aids, they can't like utilize the same technology. And it's a bit hassle and sad. And I, it's actually like, my idea is actually like so simple and so stupid that it should already be existing. And it's annoying. Well, that's that often the not. problem, though, isn't it? You think yeah. that, but actually, you know, it's, it's not out mm. there, clearly. Yeah, so we want to create an app that can be used on both iPhone and Android cell phones, uh, where every microphone can, or every smartphone can be used as a microphone. It should work for every hearing aid that can be connected to a phone. Uh, so it must have Bluetooth um, or other ways of connecting to the phone. And yeah, that's it. Dazzle some machine learning on it to like remove some of the background noises and see how people like it. That's incredible. Mm. So, what is the app called? It's called Here. Here. H E A R. Yeah, with like a parentheses around the H, so it can be like both here and ear. Ah, uh, very clever. Uh, I like thank that. You, thank okay, you. very good. Uh, and uh, you say across Apple, across Google app stores? Yeah. Uh, we're not. Um, we haven't launched it yet. We're in the developing stage now. Okay. Uh, but we do hope to have launched it at the end of 2023. And then it will be both on App Store and Google Play. We'll look out for it. Google Google Play, Google Store, yeah. Yeah, they're all the same, Mm. yeah. On your smartphone, App Store. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me. That's really interesting. Yeah, thank you yourself. So my name is Ivar Sagona, and I'm the CTO of uh, Definitely. Um, We are a company. It basically started with our founder and CEO. His name is Nimrod Nivne. He is a father of three adorable daughters, two of which were born 100% deaf. And the youngest one, Ziv, had four failed surgeries, and she is now unfortunately still unable to hear, speak, nor read. And she started elementary school three years ago. She joined a class that combines between deaf and hearing kids. 
and that experience, that unique experience, really emphasized for Nimrod the, the dissonance between how easy it is for us to take for granted, us as uh, hearing people, to take for granted uh, technologies like WhatsApp and Facebook and even phone calls, and how it's almost impossible for Ziv and their classmates uh, to enjoy those kind of te- technologies and ASIC communication in general. And from that dissonance, definitely his vision was born, and it's a vision uh, in which Ziv and hearing people all over the world are able to, to enjoy ASIC communication and can communicate just as easily as we can all do, and uh, in an independent way, uh, independently from third-party translators. And in order to accomplish that, uh, that uh, vision, uh, we had to develop an ability to take spoken language on its various forms, Uh, it doesn't matter if it's an uh, audio or a textual representation, and to translate it into an animation of an avatar or uh, a real-life person passing that exact message uh, using sign language. And so we did, and this is what we do. We developed an app that, uh, that does it, a chatting application that enables deaf people and hearing people to communicate with each other, each one with its own uh, native language. And it makes it possible for this teacher, for example, to write her class a message in plain Hebrew, or plain uh, English, for example, and for Ziv to get that message in uh, Israeli Sign Language or in the BSL, the British Sign Language. Uh, so, yeah, so this is the, the amazing experience that we can enable there. One other app that we developed, you can't see uh, on the, on the roll-up, but uh, we developed an app that translates media, um, TV shows, uh, uh, movies, or even podcasts. Uh, it enables Ziv to select the sign language in which he wants that uh, podcast to be translated to and to get a video, a sign language video that we artificially generated in real time uh, where she can uh, see the things we, the hearing people, can hear. Uh, So someone who's totally deaf, just to get this in my head, so someone who's totally deaf can then get, say, a podcast audio uh, delivered to them in sign language. Exactly. Exactly. That's incredible. Yeah, this is the experience that we enable them. And, and, and how is that? Is that because of the, the capabilities now with artificial intelligence and being able to utilize I mean, all the things we hear about today when we hear about AI? Is that essentially what's uh, driving them? Sure, LLMs, for example, uh, the, you know, the old hype uh, around GPT and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, it's uh, basically around the model called LLM, large language models. And uh, we, we've been working for... Uh, Two years, but yeah, LLMs are one of the pillars that uh, definitely was uh, uh, built upon. Of course, you need to understand the the unique experience that uh, that deaf people uh, experience. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, AI and LLMs in in particular are one of the pillars that uh, that made it all possible. And is this an app that people can download now, or is this so, in development? Uh, uh, we released uh, an MVP for dozens of families in Israel. We got amazing feedbacks, and we are about to release a formal uh, formal release uh, for the public. Uh, wow! Specifically now for the uh, for the UK and for uh, Israel, because as I told you, we support uh, Hebrew and uh, British sign language. Uh, but we are about to release uh, support for uh, not only the American sign language, but also for other uh, sign languages like the Portuguese one and the Italian one. And how long will that take to, to roll out? Uh, I, we hope in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right, so you're ready in, to go. In the really near future. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and, and this is called Definitely. Definitely, yeah. D-E-A-F. 
and the rest of definitely. <laughs> okay, brilliant. And and that's across iPhone, across Android devices. iPhones and Android, yeah. And we uh, we are going to release uh, a version for the web in the next few months. That is incredible. I wish you all the best with it. Thank you very much. Such amazing projects, some amazing people as well, and we're just literally scraping the surface of all the wonderful people here. 71 awardees are here at uh, the Zero Project Conference, uh, getting recognized for the work they do. And of course, you're hearing some of that here, uh, and you've heard most of it through the course of the week as well as our coverage continued this week uh, here on Double Tap. Stick around, though, because next, a very very interesting conversation with uh, broadcaster Shani Danda from the UK. She joins us next on Double Tap. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap, broadcasting from the Zero Project Conference in Vienna, Austria. Now, back to the show. And let's get to one of our top interviews, I think, this week, and really a great way to wrap up here at the Zero Project Conference. Someone who really tells such an amazing story of her own life with disability, her honest, true story, uh, as shared here at the Zero Project Conference on stage, and now with us right here on Double Tap. Uh, Shani, great to have you here. Uh, please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, I'm Shani Danda. I'm a disability inclusion consultant. I'm a broadcaster and a social entrepreneur. And um, this is my second time at Zero Conference. Uh, and I'm, I'm back, so the first time went well. But I'm here um, to help with the first ever youth delegation and, and as a speaker. That's that's the bit that's really interesting to us, I think, because, you know, as I was kind of joking to you earlier, um, youth is not on our side, on this side of the table, for sure. Uh, so it's good we're hearing about young people. And, and that's important here, of course, because yeah. this isn't just about the subject. It's about people, right? Yeah. And, and that's the whole thing. Um, first off, you're a broadcaster. You're not looking to take over my job, are you? <laughs> no, no. Andy's always looking for new talent, so I'm always, you know, <laughs> I have to be careful here. Um, all right, so tell me about the work with the youth delegation first because yeah. I'm interested to know how that works and, and what you're bringing here and what sure. people are bringing here. So this year is a pilot um, project of bringing youth activists, disability activists from around the world here to Two Zero uh, conference and it's an amazing opportunity and my opening line to them was I'm really jealous of you all because I wish it was something that existed when I was starting out on my journey so it's an amazing opportunity to be here at the UN for the next three days where the world's disability leaders and visionaries on disability and all things accessibility are under one roof Um, and they have a separate agenda which is really cool, by the way. Okay. And it's covering sessions like how to pitch media stories. Um, I'm doing a session on self-care as an advocate, teaching them basically all the things that I had to learn along the way yeah. uh, and all the things that I wish I knew. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole host of sessions. I know we're really cool people. Um, the press one is like with New York Times. Um, they've, they've got some creative things that they're doing as well. And they've also got a task. So they've all been given two people each that they have to go and find an interview. Oh, brilliant. But it's a, it's a great opportunity for them to come together to share what they're doing in their own countries mm-hmm. um, and, and to learn off one another as well. But 
it's honestly, it's just an amazing opportunity, and I'm I'm so happy for them. Yeah, and no, I, and I'm happy that something like this exists for the younger generation. No, you say young. What, what age are we talking? What ages are we talking? They uh, so there's two that are under eighteen, and I think the others are like um, early to mid twenties. And and all disabled, all, all range disabled, of disabilities. Yeah, range of disabilities. They all come from all areas of the world, mm. um, and there's fifteen of them this year, uh, and hopefully. Um, you know, it will be something that that Zero Project continues to do. And I think it just it highlights, I think, something really important, which is that, you know, we, we often get wrapped up in our worlds, wherever we live in the world. Yeah. You know, we talk about our bubbles and, you know, we, we you and I are from the UK, right? Yeah. So we're used to talking about UK issues or yeah. UK-focused issues, but... When you just start to zoom out a little bit from that and you learn about what's going on in Africa and in India and other places, you actually realise, first off, that we probably aren't as bad off as we thought we were yeah. in some ways. Yeah. In some, I mean, not in all areas. There are definitely problems. But I think it's just giving people a chance to get some perspective. Absolutely. And also to meet other people and, and give us all a sense of what needs to be done so that we as disabled people can contribute some of the solutions. We might be able to offer some of those solutions. It's not just up to able-bodied, sighted people in the room, right? Definitely. I, I completely agree. I think, and I'm absolutely with you on that. And I think, especially because I do a lot of disability activism and advocacy, you know, uh, whether that's going on Good Morning Britain and calling the government out on its treatment of disabled people or, you know, whether that's other broadcasting work that I do, I'm not afraid to, to say what I truly feel as a disabled person. But we can get really bogged down in our own issues. But once, you know, if we step back and take a world view on it, sometimes I think we don't really have much to complain about in the UK if we compared it to other countries. Yeah. You know, there's some countries out there that don't even have a law that makes it illegal to discriminate against disabled people. Do you know what's interesting about that? That I think sometimes we fail to recognise progress, don't we? Hundred percent, especially when you're working in it, mm -hmm. because if you're anything like me, I'm like, right, what's next? We've ticked that off the list. What's next? What's yep. next? What's next? But I feel like the pandemic has really made inclusion go backwards for disabled people. So pre-pandemic, I always used to say, "There's never been a better time to be disabled." Yeah. And yeah. people used to give me a bit of a quizzical look. They're like. Why would you say that? Like, is it ever a time to be disabled? I'm like, well, yeah, for a lot of us, for nearly 15 million of us, this is all we know, uh, right? And But people didn't understand what I meant by that. And I can't say that anymore post-pandemic because what was an amazing opportunity to press reset on society and to come back way more inclusively, it, I just felt like decision-makers did the complete opposite. They prioritised a certain group of people and bringing certain people back into society, but not everybody. And that's not okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you on that because I used to say the same thing. Yeah. You know, I used to say, and from my perspective, yeah. you know, what a great time to be blind. Look at how yeah. so much technology that exists to make my life easier, yeah. to make friends of mine, you know, people I work with easier, to get into, you know, potential at least to get into jobs and do great mm. things. But, you know, we're, we, we do still have a lot of challenges. And it's interesting because we... You know, we put that next to our earlier comment, which is in the UK, from our perspectives, we actually have a decent life. We have yeah. decent, decent opportunities. It's not perfect. Though. Yeah, yeah. 
but you know, again, if you compare it with the rest of the world yeah. and some parts of the world, it's it's different. So it's it's, it's an interesting. It depends on who you're talking to, Definitely. doesn't it? Because the, the audience can really. It really changes how we talk about disability. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm really careful. It's not about pitting one country against another. It's no. definitely not the oppression Olympics. No. So the reason. So glad you said yeah. that. Cause I, that's, I use that phrase a lot, and it's just I hate that. Yeah, I hate that. but I feel like so. You know, my heritage is Indian, but I'm British, so I've I've always felt this conflict from a really young age. Like I'm not Indian enough, and I'm not British enough. <laughs> you know, people tell me, people ask me where I'm from, and I say Birmingham, and they're like, "No, well, where are you really from?" Oh, that's just ridiculous, you know, isn't it? All of that. Um, but I, knew then, you were, I knew you were from Birmingham. You knew straight away, you. yeah. <laughs> but then when I go to India, my family there don't see me as Indian; they see me as British. Mm-hmm. So, so it's really confusing for them and for me. However. I think I learned from a really young age how lucky I was to be born in the UK, just purely from a disability perspective. So my dad was born in India and um, my grandparents and my dad both moved to the UK as ec- economic migrants after the partition of India, mm. so after uh, the British stopped ruling there after partition. And I'm really glad they did that. And... It's really difficult for me to express, like, colonialism is obviously horrible, but I've benefited from it, I feel, by being born in the UK as a disabled person. Because if I was born in India, there's no way, there's no way I would be doing the things that I'm doing because my family are farmers. They live in a rural part of India. Um, You know... The girls in my family in India don't really get educated. I had I can do whatever I want to do. Let me just put it into perspective. So my grandmother was had a forced marriage at thirteen. Mm. Then my then she emigrated to the UK. Then my mom had a forced marriage, and here's me doing what the hell I want, when I want, with who I want, how I want. Yeah, and it just blows my mind. So, what would a, what would your life have been like? Do you have any sense of what? life would have been like had you been born in India? From other people you might know or people you've spoken to. So I have spoken to my family about this. I just think I just would have been kept at home. Probably probably be expected to help out around the house if I could. Milk the cows, make the chapatis and the dal and I don't know, just just probably never do get married. What, never get married. Because I face all of those cultural um, stigmas now in the UK. So people, I'm 35 years old. I must be the only Asian woman that's never been pressured to get married and never been pressured to get to have kids. And if you know anything about South Asian culture, marriage is intrinsic to our culture. Yeah. And so, growing up, so my mum was my mum's Indian, but she's born in the UK. So I'm like one and a half, I think, or two and a half generation in the UK. I don't know. It confuses me, but. Um, my parents have a really different outlook on life from each other, and especially towards disability. So my mum would never treat me any differently. When I was naughty, I got a smack. Just the same with my other siblings, even though I have brittle bone disease. And my mum was like, there's nothing you can't do. You'll just find a different way of doing it. And I'm so glad that that's the approach that she took because she would have done me no favours Molly coddling me and treating me or giving me a pass. Do you know what I mean? Not not having yes. the same expectations. Yeah. But whereas my dad, he was like, why do you want to work? Can't you just claim disability benefits? Hmm. 
So I was like, Dad, why why would you say that to me? Like, I want to work, I can work. Are you going to fund my lifestyle? Um, You know, so I I think from a really young age, I've had to educate my parents. I I feel like I've always had to fight for... Fight for what I wanted... Fight fight to be me, but fight for also the life I've wanted to as well because of being a South Asian woman who experiences disability and everything that brings with it. Like disability faces an even further sense of stigma in my community mm. so I, I find it so ironic that on one hand my mum's saying to me there's nothing you can't do but my family never speaks to me about getting married how ironic is that yeah it's so contradictory isn't it but look oh, i can't even get into that with them because i have to deal with my own feelings about that i can't even deal with what they're thinking about it so I just, we just all ignore it and i just do what i want <laughs> so, so on a, a and this is just putting a really broad level yeah. but you know I guess in your family mm. the talk is around your disability and what it can do what you can't do and all of that but then externally when you go out into the big wide world yeah. it's disability and ethnicity yeah yeah and so um yeah I think I'm 35 now and my health is relatively stable but um so the condition I have is brittle bone disease and it means that my bones break without any trauma. Mm. So by the age of 14, I had broken my legs six times. And people people usually are like, wow, that's a lot. But people with my condition break between three to 400 times in their life. So I feel very fortunate. So you're winning then? <sighs> winning? <laughs> yes. You know, my other friends with the same condition, they call me fake. They're like, <laughs> six breaks. Come on, yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, I also ha- I have a short stature as a result of that condition. Right. But in my teens, I had, like, surgery, so I have metal rods in my legs. I've also had treatment to strengthen my bone density, so my bone density is average now. So if I was to fall over here, I shouldn't break anything. Um, but, so I had, you know, so... There was a lot of focus on my condition and my health at a much younger age. And I actually went to a special needs primary school um, just because that's what inclusion was, you yes. know, yep. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. I played a lot. But it wasn't until I went to a mainstream secondary school did I realise that that wasn't the best place for my learning. I remember the teacher saying to me things like, Shani, you've read all the books in the school. No one's ever done that before. Yeah. Um, and I found it really difficult to integrate don't get me wrong, I was I was a popular kid in school. I had an electric wheelchair. It went up and down. It had lights, horn and an indicator. It was really cool. Um, and it, I never got bullied. Um, but academically, I found it really hard. I just felt like I didn't know the basics. Um, so so in, from going back to the family thing, like a lot of it was around like, Trying not to break, but I'd break. Then learning how to walk again, but also trying to get my education in as well. And I faced a lot of um, low expectations from my community. So people were really shocked that I learned how to drive or I went to college or went to uni. But that really upset me because these people had literally raised me in my community. You know, they'd perhaps be extended family members or people who would go to the same temple with we're all a really close community and I was like well you expect your own kids to do that why don't why why not me I, I'm very capable of doing it but it's kind of like if you have 
If you have a physical condition, then people just expect you to do less or just think that you won't want to do won't want to work or I, I think you know from my perspective it's it's often it's not about physical either it's it's mm. about disability yeah disability for some people equals incapability yeah and that's the problem that's what we all do to try and tell people that's not the case we almost spend our lives just saying that over and over and yeah. over again whilst living our lives very capably yeah you know and, and it's interesting you mentioned you're on tv like good morning britain and the yeah. uk and stuff like that what kind of reaction do you get from people when you go on those shows? Because, I mean, we all know what social media is like. We all know the hornet's nest that can stir up whenever someone turns up on TV and yeah. says something. I, I wonder what the what the reaction from people is. Is it Because I, I mentioned earlier about the big wide world and, you know, disability and ethnicity. Mm. Do you face both attacks on both, from both fronts, essentially? I do, and it wasn't until I got trolled was it so hierarchical so there's a way in which people troll me. Mm. So first they'll comment on my disability, then my ethnicity, and if they ever get round to it, my gender. Oh, right, okay. And but if I was <laughs> if I was a non-disabled, cisgendered, white woman, people would probably only troll me because of my gender, right? Like how we see that mm. happen. And I was like, oh my god, like there's even a hierarchy to how to be trolled. But yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I'm really open about my story, my life. And a lot of people don't believe what I say. So, um, really? yeah, so I had to apply for like over, I had to apply for over 100 jobs at the age of 16 until I removed any mention of my condition. And then I got offered an interview. People were like, no, you're lying. I was See, like, why would I lie? As a blind guy, I'm I actually amazed you had to, that was as, as little as you had to do. I wouldn't be surprised if you said 200. See, and, yeah. you know, I wish I could sit here and say it's not like that anymore for disabled people. Mm. But so I think it's probably got worse. And, you know, there are there are people that are have got PhDs out there, disabled people, and they can't even get a job. It's it's not okay. It's not fair. But the the, the most soul-destroying just thing is is when someone's built up the courage to share their experience to help you know, challenge perceptions and raise awareness that someone tells them that, no, that, that's not true, that can't be right. That's the worst thing that you can yeah. do to somebody. It really is. Yeah. And it takes a lot for people to, in, you know, you and I are, are similar in that sense. We're happy to share our stories. Yeah. I say we're happy to do it. And maybe happy is the wrong word. We do it because we perhaps feel it's the right thing to do. And certainly the feedback I get on this program is people appreciate it because they, they're maybe not in a position to say it themselves. Yeah. Maybe they're thinking it internally at that point. They're not ready to come out and say it. And then they do Absolutely. because they feel, well, he said it. And okay, yeah. I, I, I get that. You know, yeah. I, I can connect with that. I feel that way. Or I feel that what is what I'm feeling is being acknowledged. Yeah, 100%. And also, um, so I'm very aware that I'm also a very palatable disabled person. And that brings a lot of privilege. I'm very. Now what does that mean? I'm very aware of it. So what I mean by that is I have clear speech. I um, I'm, I think I can articulate myself pretty well. You're a young woman. <laughs> I'm a young woman. Um, I, I mean, I, I have no doubt you're attractive. I can't tell, you know, but I have <laughs> no doubt that you are. But yeah, that's yeah. what you're getting at, isn't So that's it? what I mean. Like, you know, um, I don't have a mobility aid with me right now. So it's... Although it's hard for me to get those opportunities, it's easy for me to occupy those spaces. 
And that's why it's a, it's a huge honour and it's a privilege when I am able to hold space and take up space as a disabled woman of colour because I'm not just doing it for me, I'm doing it for us in our community. Yeah. And I always thought, right, I'm here and I'm representing disabled people, South Asian women, and that's it. But from the comments, the, the nice comments I receive, I, I have come to understand that other people feel represented as well, just through perhaps through experiences that they can relate with or resonate with or um, just seeing difference, just seeing somebody else, um, you know, tell their truth or to, to share what a community is feeling. And that's exactly what I want. I want I want people to think, well, if she can do it, I can do it. And I want, you know, broadcasters and decision makers to think, well, you know, we've worked with disabled people. It wasn't as hard as we thought it would, as scary as we thought it would be. Yep. Because what what I'm still really frustrated about in the UK is that there are nearly 15 million disabled people that we know of. That's nearly 25% of the population. But we, you know, we're rarely on screen. We, re- we rarely have opportunities to take up space in the media. Yeah. And that's not okay. And then when you look at the representation that we do have, it's not very diverse. So there are a lot of um, people with the same types of conditions or the same types of um, characteristics. You know, I, I don't hide the fact that I feel that there's a lot of white fragility within the disability community. And I feel like talking about how racism and ableism intertwines is a really difficult conversation for me to have because I just feel like disabled people feel like they're being attacked and what I never quite understand is we as disabled people want non-disabled people to have compassion and empathy for us and to change the world but there are communities within communities within the disability community like one approach isn't going to work for all of us and and there's challenges within that community as well right exactly so there are people who might say what you said about being a palatable disabled person some might look at that as well, you're not really representing me. Yeah. And that's a problem as well in our community. I, I get that from the yeah. blind community. Yeah. I'm not blind enough. Yeah. Therefore, I, you know, can I use that word? Oh, I get that. And I, look, I've never said that I, I that represent. Yeah. I do. I would never want to, to rep, be the only representative. No. Oh, my God. I would never want that. And I'm either. sure. Yeah. Right, how horrible would that be? Well, can you uh, imagine it's like suddenly you're the king of the disabled people or yeah. the queen of the disabled people? How does that work, right? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't make sense exactly. either because we're all individuals. Exactly, that's why we need more opportunities. And I think that's why we fall into this trap of people saying, well, you don't represent me. It's mm. probably because there's only ever one opportunity for someone to talk for two minutes about a disability issue. And that's why we need way more opportunities and much more people taking up those spaces as well. Yeah. How has tech enabled you? Oh, where has my it? How has it? God, it's changed my life. I think um, so. I was a really early adopter of like online shopping and you know uh, Uber and everything. So I'm three foot ten. I'm about the height of a four year old. I live in a world that isn't designed for me. Mm. Um, hailing a cab's difficult. People don't see me, or they could perhaps drive past me and just pretend they didn't see me. Um, online shopping really changed my life because because of brittle bones and because I'm very short I can't really carry much so like you know supermarket shopping getting groceries and food shopping 
I'm able to do a over click of two buttons and it's changed my life. Same with clothes. I can never go into a store and, and buy clothes and wear them straight off the rail. I have to get them tailored. But it means that I can... And, and also I have to try and like the size I think I am, the size smaller and the size bigger. And I have to figure out, okay, if I'm going to get this tailored, which size would work best? It's, it's a logistical nightmare. And I think at the age of 35, I've learned a lot through trial and error. But online shopping with clothes is easier because I can just do all of that and it all comes to my door. I don't have to carry it. So there's been so many different ways. Like those are things I can think of off the top of my head. But the biggest digital um, disruption, I think we all probably felt, whether you're disabled or not, was was as a result of the pandemic and that both really frustrates me but I'm glad it happened as well so as I'm sure you're aware you know there are lots of barriers for disabled people to be economically active it's tough to get a job it's not easy to get any welfare support if you're entitled to it if if you know if people think that it's easy and it, it's handed out to you like sweets and everything's free that's like the biggest misconception ever. I've just spent £8,000 on a new manual wheelchair. Just think of the amount of holidays I could have gone on instead. <laughs> or, you know, yep. just could have gone towards a house deposit. But I have to spend it on a wheelchair because the NHS doesn't have anything suitable for me. I tell people about my, my printer, yeah. which is Braille. Tell us about that, yeah. It's £10,000. You see? At, for a printer. First Which of you could all, buy out of a store for, you know, how many exactly, dollars, you yeah. know, $20. First $20. of all, why do these things cost so much in the first place? Yeah. And secondly, why, why, why do we have to pay so much for them? Because people think like, well, yeah, you know, we have the National Health Service in the UK. Surely you get everything through that. In my local area, there's like a 9,000 person waiting list. I had to wait through that for them to tell me we don't have anything suitable for you. It's yeah. taken me five years to get this new chair. Not because they were slow at making it. That was the quickest part. Just because of all the bureaucracy and all the, the hoops you have to jump through. But I think, coming back to my point about technology and the pandemic. So um, work's really important. Money's important. We as disabled people face unavoidable extra costs. And so many disabled people wanted to work remotely and asked their employers if they could work remotely uh, pre-pandemic and we'd be told no. If I do it for you, I'm going to have to do it for everybody else, even though that's illegal in the UK because of reasonable adjustments. Or, oh, it, we can't because of data protection. Or, um, how, how will I trust you? How will I know you're working? But isn't it funny that, you know, as soon as we went into lockdown... You know, if, your if you could do your job from home, you did your job from home. So what, that, what I learned from that is all the things that disabled people want can happen and they can happen quickly, but the need for change has to be seen to benefit non-disabled people too. Yeah, and that's, that is the reality. But that's what accessibility is. It is for it, everyone. It's for everyone. Is it, is it the name is the problem? Is it the fact that, you know, we, we because we've kind of fused accessibility and disability together, haven't we? As a, as a community, as a, in our society, that's how we've put it together. Yeah. Because we, we had to. We had yeah. to get it into and the it, conversation. It makes sense. I think what the issue is, is um, people don't understand that 
It's not our conditions and impairment that disable us. People do not yet really understand that it's society that disables us. Barriers and bias is what I call it. That, you know, physical barriers, cultural bias. You know, I face a lot of cultural bias, societal attitudes, all of that. That's, you know, it's never been my condition that disables me. Yeah, I live with my condition. Yes, it's painful, but I manage that with my with my health professional, and that's great. I'm very grateful to have access to that and the NHS. But that's a whole, I think people feel like, especially employers, that they need to be experts in medical conditions. Like, why do people even ask um, people what's your medical condition? Like, nobody mm. does anything with that data. No. As an employer, all you need to know is what are the barriers that you're experiencing in doing this role. And can I remove them? Yeah. It's as simple as that. So, and I think why we're in that model, why we're so medicalised, is because it wasn't that long ago in in the UK that disabled people were being institutionalised. So that's why I think the future generation gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, which takes it back to your role here and obviously, you know, meeting up and talking to the younger generation, which gives us all the hope, I guess, that there can be a brighter future and that... Going back to our point, because it's funny, we've kind of gone full circle here. Yeah. We talked about how great everything is from our, you know, our lives in the UK perspective to actually the real challenges that exist. But actually then zooming back out and saying there is hope that the generations here from all around the world can actually bring some hope to this. Yeah. And the solutions, more importantly, has to be with their voice, our voice, their voice. Because otherwise this won't work. You know, I, I know that the phrase gets used a lot, nothing about us without us. That is so true. And I will say something else. I think you've kind of got me around to the way of thinking with the social model okay, of disability. Okay, were, were you against it before? I wasn't against it, no, uh-huh. but I, I felt it was just part of the solution. And I think it still is. I think yeah, I agree. Two things can be true at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Medical model's true. Yeah. Social model is true. I'm with you. I'm with both of those. I, I think the people who argue that it's one versus the other, I'm not keen on. Agree. Because I think that, you know, we do have, a, I do have, my eyes don't work, yeah. right? So you know, we round that, yeah. right? That's just, that's part of the way life is. My eyes don't work. Um, we're not born without eyes. So it's, it's kind of unusual to not have them working, right? Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. But equally, if I'm in a wheelchair and I go to a restaurant and I can't get in, it's not my fault. Mm. It's not my fault there's no ramp outside. Mm. It's because no one's considered that. Yeah. No one's that environment's not built for me to include me. Yeah. And that's up to them to fix. Yeah, yeah. So I can see it from those points of view. I agree. And I feel like all the models I take a bit of everything from them if I'm being honest. Um Because there's a real life aspect to this, yeah. right? You know, it's all very well and lovely in academia to talk about these things, but in reality yeah. you know, you have to take each situation as it comes. Yeah. There are times when it's they need to talk. The need to shout, yeah. the need to react in whatever way it is. And, yeah. and sometimes it's also the need to listen. Yeah. And also, you know, the charity model is very much alive and kicking. Mm. So that's, you know, the, the thought that um, charity will help and solve disabled people's problems or it's, it's only charity that, can, that is responsible for disabled people. That's why I think a lot of people are against things like children in need. Mm. In the UK, which is a it's just a fundraiser on national on, on national TV, where they where they portray disabled people and their difficulties, young disabled people. However, it's there to make money. In order to make money, you need to pull on people's heartstrings. And that's the problem. So that's it meets that purpose. Yeah. However, that's that's usually the only type of representation that disabled people have. 
and that's what's problematic about it. Yeah. Charities only exist to to cover the holes that the government leave behind, in my opinion. So it's 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 like problematic thing after problematic thing. Um, I still encourage people to donate because those disabled children still need that help. Yeah. Um, but I want you to see it for what it is. And um, I, th I think it's important. Like, we have to sometimes accept the situation that we're in, but we can we can call a spade a spade at the same time as well. Yeah. Shani, this has been really interesting. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so glad Thank you did because it's a really interesting conversation just to learn about you and what you're doing. What, so what's next for you? What's the big plan? Well... I'm launching an app to help disabled people save money. Okay. Uh, because I, I'm really passionate about... Um, it, I just, it's not fair that disabled people have to pay more to try and live the same lives as others but have less or no choice. I, um, I added up all my extra costs last year. It came to £13,000. Yeah, I can believe it. I took a 90% pay cut to launch my app and I lost all my investors when the pandemic hit. So. <sighs> That was tough. Um, so, yeah, it's, oh my God, it's been such a journey with this app. I, I hate being an entrepreneur. I mean, I love what it's taught me, but oh my God, it's so hard. I've got so many grey hair as a result of it. And I really hope that this year is the, the, the year I get to launch my app. But we've got Global Brand signed up. Um, I had the idea when I was at uni, you know, we get a student discount. So why don't disabled people get a discount? But also... Um, uh, through my work as a consultant, I really understood that businesses don't know how to service as disabled customers. So this is a bit of a win-win situation. We provide better uh, services and products for disabled people and we value them as consumers as well because we have an amazing spending power in the world. It's, you know, yeah, it's huge. Uh, disability touches 70 73% of global consumers, it's a market size bigger than China. So in addition I mean, to... Just wrap your head around that for I a know, second, right? I, mean, I know. Like, who, who wouldn't want a piece of that pie? Who doesn't want some money? Yeah. Exactly. So we shouldn't see this as a challenge. This is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to serve an overlooked consumer group, but it's also an opportunity for businesses to, to, to serve a proportion of their customers that they've been really ignoring as well. Because... My fridge isn't empty, even though I can't reach anything. I still, I still have to spend that money somewhere. Even though there are no clothes designed for me, there are more clothes designed for dogs than disabled people. I still buy clothes. So we're still spending our money. Yeah. Why, not, why not be empowered to spend it with a retailer or with a, uh, a company who values my money instead? So that, that's what my my other big project is um and yeah hopefully more more broadcasting opportunities as well well you're always welcome back here oh thank you i've really enjoyed the chat yeah i'd love to get you back on to tell tell us more about it and, and the app is it when's it coming out magic question Who knows when? however um what's it if, called it's called diversibility card and you uh, if anybody's interested you can sign up um, to join the waiting list and you'll be first notified when we finally... Because I'm Scottish and I need to save money. So, yes, you know, come on. please. So it's not a disability thing. This is just yeah. me being Scottish. <laughs> well, do you know, who doesn't, love a, okay who doesn't love a discount? Exactly. Exactly, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I go and speak to retailers, their jaws drop on the floor because in the UK, we've only got about two to three million students, but there's nearly 15 million disabled people. 
Yeah. Hello, ka-ching. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah. money here. It's money. But it's, it's, it's going to help everybody. So, yeah. Shani, thank you so much for coming along. Thank you. And that's it for our show. Thank you to everybody here at the Zero Project Conference for all their hospitality, some amazing people, some great friends I think we've met here. Uh, we will continue to uh, con- have these conversations and discussions and, of course, learn a lot more about the work that goes on. And no doubt you'll hear more about the project and us talking about what we've found here and even maybe some more interviews as well because we've talked to a lot of people that we didn't get a chance to air uh, here on Double Tap. So that may well be coming in the next week or so. So do stay tuned for that. Back on Monday, of course, uh, I'll still be here in Vienna, but we will be going through your emails. We'll be going through your feedback, your voicemails, everything we'll be getting into. So keep that coming. Feedback at doubletaponair.com on all the subjects we've discussed previously and here at the conference. Get in touch. You can also find us uh, on social media at Double Tap On Air, wherever you get your social media. And also, you can call our listener line. one 803 4567 is the number. Get in touch and share your thoughts with Double Tap. We're back Monday. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.